you have to bring a bit of silence into your life. Taking the headphones out of your ears and starting to pay attention to what's speaking to you, to what's about to precipitate out of your life, to what's coming into season. The invitation to make a friend with the stranger who's just about to walk into your life, the stranger that is you. Hello, Lonely Hour listeners. This is Julia Bainbridge, and I'm back with our Inner Lives mini-series. I'm interested in how people tend to their private selves in this era of overstimulation. Today, my guest is poet and philosopher David White. He is, in my estimation, one of our greatest living thinkers on the topic of aloneness, and I feel extremely privileged that he agreed to speak with me, with us. While this episode delves into David's inner life, particularly through his poetry, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to discuss loneliness and solitude in general with him. His answers were, as I expected, chillingly eloquent. So I won't waste any more time with this introduction. Here is David White. I've always felt that when you do feel loneliness, it's always a kind of inverse measure of what you actually belong to that it actually uh, tells you where to go. But it's an invitation into a very raw form of vulnerability that most of us have had very little introduction to. We're not told that that's actually the doorway you're supposed to go through. We have so many forces in life and in the media telling us to become this 100% paragon of perfection. If you can just actually speak the pain of your aloneness and the pain of your loneliness, the sense of isolation and say it exactly in a line, in a poem or just out loud to the mirror or walking around the park by yourself, you get an understanding of actually what you need in your life or who you need in your life or how you need what you need and who you need in your life. Do you use alone and lonely interchangeably, or how do you distinguish what loneliness is? Yeah, I'd say loneliness is the sense of being unmoored and unanchored and not belonging, and the sense that you won't be found by the world in the way you want to be found, or by another person. And so it's a state of exile in a way. But as I say, if you can just actually not resist that exile, but actually try and see it as a foundation for understanding yourself, of stepping off from it. Now that's all very well my saying it. It takes practice to do that. It takes help. I've had a lot of help from various teachers, other poets I've read in my life, and you could say Buddhist teachers and the great literary tradition. Uh, If you're completely isolated, then it's a very hard circle to get out of. You need help. And I often think that one of the necessary dynamics of getting out of aloneness and loneliness is asking for help. And I would say asking for, especially for what I call invisible help. It's difficult enough for us in this age when we're supposed to be completely self-sufficient to ask even for practical help from other people. We're always saying, I can do it myself. Invisible help is the help that you do not as yet know you need. 
And the only way that you find out what you need is by paying incredible attention to what's around you. And of course, one of the desperate parts of loneliness is you become numb and you stop paying attention. So the first step is just to start feeling more, even if it's feeling the raw vulnerability of, of not being where you want to be and starting to pay attention. Do you think we struggle to pay that attention, perhaps especially in this day and age? I think one of the difficulties of today is we've put all our eggs in one basket in that we try to hold the conversation simply through human forms. And yet throughout our evolution of human beings, we've always held a conversation with a multiplicity of qualities, like with the blue in the sky or the red in the sunset in the evening or or the movement of leaves, you know, in a, at the very top of a silent wood when the breeze is coming through. The sound of an owl in the evening. The smell of grass, the feel of a summer breeze on your skin. These are all conversations. These are actually all qualities. And it's just very strange that we've now define the fact that you're just not in conversation with another human being as being alone. You're not alone, actually. You're just not paying attention to all of these other thousands of qualities that we've actually co-evolved with over the thousands of years. So one of the reasons we're lonely is we've forgotten that we have a friendship with the sky, we have a friendship with the ground, we have a friendship with our bodies, we have a friendship with the way our bodies respond to the natural world. I remember one springtime, actually it was the springtime before 9-11, and the very spring before it happened, and I was in Central Park on what was really the first day of spring. New York had had terrible weather and then suddenly on a Sunday morning the sun came out and the sky was deep blue and I was in Central Park very early and then suddenly I saw thousands of people literally streaming into the park and they were all just brought alive by that first day and of course it was a Sunday so they could take time but uh, you could see that ancient kind of seeking for this other form of friendship. The sky, the smell of the blossoms in the, uh, in the park, you know, and your body, the way it feels in the spring and the summer. So these are all ancient friendships that we have that we would do well to reestablish. Yeah. I, love, I love the use of the word friendships there. I get a sense of that kind of friendship from your poem, The House of Belonging the way I read it anyway. It's about your own remembering that you're not really alone when you're alone, right? You have relationships with the things in your home. In a way, it came out of a, a kind of difficult loneliness and a wonderful nourishing aloneness, both at the same time. I'd moved into a, a new old house. It was a very old house on the island where I live in the Pacific Northwest. But it was a new house to me and for myself and my son, I was going to be a single parent father in that, in that house. But it also felt like I was resurrecting parts of myself that hadn't been able to emerge in the relationship that I'd been in. 
And that's not to blame the other person. It's just one of the dynamics that happens in relationship is that certain parts of you get avalanched over or neglected, especially when you're a parent and you have to put other people before yourself and put the other person before yourself and before your desires quite often. So one of the nourishing things of being alone again is finding out who this stranger is inside you. And I always feel you meet the new you, you always meet the new you in the form of a stranger. And in order to meet that stranger, you actually have to spend time alone uh, in order to get to know yourself at this new threshold. So this is my waking up into the house after a, a difficult, turbulent period and suddenly realizing that I, I was alone in the house uh, when my son wasn't there. But I, I had a new kind of communion and community with the world and with, with the future. So this is the house of belonging. I awoke this morning in the gold light. I awoke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that, thinking, thinking it was one day like any other. I awoke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that, thinking it was one day like any other. But the veil had gone from my darkened heart, and I thought, it must have been the first easy rhythm with which you breathed yourself to sleep. It must have been the candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the prayer I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is the good day you could meet your love. This is the good day you could meet your love. This is the grey day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realise how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close grain cedar burning round me like fire, and all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun had made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all of the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is where I want to love all of the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness, and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house. I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house. There is no house like the house of belonging. It's interesting to think of aloneness, even loneliness, as a doorway to becoming quite often a difficult and vulnerable doorway and one you don't want to go through, but uh, one that's simplifying our lives and bringing us down to a foundational understanding of what's the simplest thing we want and need in life. And that's a doorway we can go through no matter what age we are, right? Adult aloneness is one of the phrases that stands out to me in that poem. Can you expand on what that is to you, adult aloneness? We all know what adolescent aloneness looks like. You know? It's the, the fear of missing out. It's uh, a sense of boredom. It's not knowing what to do with yourself. And, and actually, it used to be actually a doorway that everyone went through before you had phones and screens and you had to, when you were alone in the house at home, around your very tedious parents, <laughs> you had to figure something out to do yourself, yeah. So it's quite difficult, I think, for young people today who don't actually have periods where they're, where they're left to themselves. And they actually have to dig a little deeper 
So and digging deeper is coming to a form of maturity in your aloneness. Even just going for a walk, a 20-minute walk without your phone, you are actually a different person on that walk than you are if you take your smartphone with you. Yeah. If you go for a walk for the shortest time, there's another person waiting beneath the surface for a deeper conversation that's not distracted. So I'd say the adult aloneness has to do with finding what is nourishing. There are certain thresholds of maturity you can't go through without spending significant time living and breathing by yourself. Yeah. You spoke with me before about practicing being alone, getting more comfortable with it. Because if you can, there's understanding to be found there. There's freedom to be found there. You just start building your stamina for aloneness. And that aloneness is just ceasing to name everything as you see it. Because we're always naming people in too small a way. We name ourselves in too small a way. So the part of the mind that's naming things is trying to control the world. So we're trying to get another part of us engaged, which isn't trying to hold everyone by the shirt collar and coerce them into what we think they should be doing. And to let go of your own shirt collar in the, in the mirror and let yourself alone in a radical way. Leave yourself to be yourself. Whatever that self is, to begin with, it's a mystery, it's an unknown. And it can only be approached through not speaking and not naming to begin with. Until slowly another voice starts to speak back to us. And strangely, it's like an old memory. It's, it's actually our old voice. We may have had a brief experiences of it, visionary experience of it in childhood. But it's just an understanding of the unique way you were made for the conversation of life, which every child has a glimpse of at one time or another, and which starts to return to you like a, a nostalgia to begin with, but actually a real memory after a while. I always say that nostalgia really felt is not, not the past coming to visit you, but real nostalgia is the enunciation that the past as you know it is about to end. You're feeling the past in such a physically, bodily way, almost sometimes to the point of nausea. It's uh, an enunciation that your understanding of that past is just about to change, actually. And you're about to understand your mother in a different way than through the name you've given her for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, explaining who she was. Yeah. You're about to re-understand your father. Yeah. You're about to re-understand your childhood, actually. And you're about to re-people it in a different way. So aloneness, you know, is a lovely, necessary clearing of the space in order to re-people it again. It's really interesting to think that, that we shouldn't be in this binary mode of trying to cure loneliness in order to be socially cemented to others, but to see it in a kind of seasonal way that it's necessary for every human being to go through thresholds of deep loneliness at crucial stages in their life. 
And if they didn't, they wouldn't change. They'd just stay in the old conversation. I get the sense that your poem, Just Beyond Yourself, is about reaching those, those kinds of deeper states of aloneness. Can you, would you read a bit for us as we close out here? Just Beyond Yourself. Just Beyond Yourself is where you need to be. Just Beyond Yourself is where you need to be. Half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. Half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. There's a road always beckoning. There's a road always beckoning. When you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon and deep in the foundations of your own heart at exactly the same time, when you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon and deep in the foundations of your own heart at exactly the same time, that's how you know it's where you have to go. That's how you know it's a road you have to follow. That's how you know you have to go. That's how you know. It's just beyond yourself. It's where you need to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you to David White. Please read his work if you haven't already. There are a number of books to choose from. But my favorites are The House of Belonging, one of his collections of poetry, The Heart Aroused, Poetry and Preservation of the Soul in Corporate America, and Consolations, The Solace, Nourishment, and Underlying Meaning of Everyday Words, which he dedicated to words and their beautiful, hidden, and beckoning uncertainties. Man, I love that. Um, David is currently at work on another book, three chapters in, he says, on how to deepen conversation. If it's me you're looking for, please email lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lonely Podcast, or you can find us on the Lonely Hours Facebook page and sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com. Otherwise, as I always say, enjoy yourself. This episode was produced by me, Julia Bainbridge, and mixed and sound designed by Keith J. Nelson.